Well, it's always a great pleasure for Joy and I to be with you and certainly a privilege to share God's word with you. There's a couple of unique things. Louis told me I've only got 30 minutes, so I have to be really careful. <laughs> I won't put my hand in my pocket because that doesn't, you know, I'm not reaching out. But it's really unique. I, I was thinking as I sat there before, I, I preached my first sermon when I was 17 and I was thinking never since that day have I not been able to look all of the congregation in the face and see everyone that I'm speaking to and respond or not to the responses of people. So COVID does some funny things, doesn't it? But the other unique thing is, Louis, I don't think anybody's ever asked the congregation to clap me, <laughs> uh, welcome me in such a way, welcome us in such a way. So that's, that's a bit unique as well. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Colossians is such a powerful... <laughs> Phenomenal. Ah, I could think of too many adjectives and ways to express it. I've, I've been struggling as I read through my notes again this morning. I thought this is too effusive. This is, I'm talking too much about the, the uh, infatuation that we should have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I put my pencil through a few things and thought, you're repeating yourself too much. But my heart's desire is today is that we do become afresh, infatuated, smitten by the love of God which is in Christ Jesus for us because that's the baseline. Anyway, I don't want to blow the content of my sermon in my first sentence. <laughs> so let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your great grace, your mercy to us. Thank you, Father, that in Christ Jesus we have been reconnected with you and we know ourselves to be the sons and the daughters of the only true and living God, the one who has everything in his hands. Lord, we've sung that you know the stars by their name, but God, you know us by name sons and daughters of yours. And I pray this morning, Father, that as we meditate a little on your word, that you would move upon us by your Holy Spirit and that we might sense greatly that love that you have for us and that there might be a stirring in our imaginations and in our heart that we might grow in affection for Jesus Christ today, the one who is the answer, the one who always meets our need. And gracious God, we pray today as we're here, as I often do when I'm here, I pray for this town, I pray for this region. Dear Holy Spirit, that you might convict it of sin, of righteousness and judgment, that as you're merciful to this place, hearts might be turned 
minds might be convinced, as it were, by your Holy Spirit that they need to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, we know as we pray this, as we long for this, we are certain that that will happen because that is your saving purpose. Thank you, Father, that you're on about restoration. Oh, Holy Spirit, in a sense, we know you're doing it, but we say, release salvation over this town, over this place. And we declare that that salvation is occurring. We declare it in the heavenlies. And we would tell Satan that you are being pushed back in Jesus' name. And those who are bound to you and are currently bound to you are being released because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Lord, do a work in this building, in this town, in this region. And to you be praise and glory and honor today, our God. In Jesus' name. Well, I've been asked, I think I've been asked <laughs> today to speak about some extremely thought-provoking, encouraging, freeing, and life-transforming words, as Paul writes to the Colossian church. Words which flowed out of his experience where he, he could say, I want to know nobody else but Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die as gain, he said. His whole life was consumed with a passion for Jesus, having met him, as you remember, on the road, transfixed, living his life that others might know the Christ that he knew, that they might know the person and the work of Christ. So, yes, these words are life-transforming and freeing to us. And they'll resonate again with us as I read them because we personally have experienced Christ. And whilst others may seek comfort and encouragement and direction and hope and purpose in an uncertain and troubling time, we can say that we know that we have courage, we have comfort, we have engagement with Jesus Christ. You see, there's something different about those who know Jesus. And it's not because of ourselves, as Paul says, it's because of grace. But we know these things. We are so unlike other people. We have, dare I repeat myself, we have comfort. We have encouragement. We have hope available to us beyond that which we're experiencing today. And my desire is that today as we walk out of this place, we might have that certainty within ourselves that being the children of the living God, all things are ours in Christ Jesus, whether in heaven or in earth, all things are ours. Oh, it blows the mind. It's hard to understand or even conceive perhaps those things. But as the Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit, we know that that is true 
It is real. Today, Paul says to the Colossian church in Scripture, as we read it, I want that you be infused with strength. I want that you be not distracted or intimidated, for everything else is yours. He said to them, you are infused with strength and encouraged in every way because, because of Christ. So I say to you this morning, no matter what is going on in our lives, what is going on around us, or what impacts us, it is that we don't have to be distracted nor intimidated. We have, dare I say it, a burning hope within us, a cons- all-consuming hope within us because of Jesus Christ. And that hope is that which carries us through life, through this moment, through what we're experiencing, through into what we hope for in Christ Jesus. So today, as the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real again in our lives, may we experience, yes, come Holy Spirit, may we experience again his self-giving love, his self-denying endurance and the Lordship that is ours that governs, that controls, which protects, which gives us a hope and a future. That as that engages with us, our hearts, as I prayed, I think, might be excited and our imaginations inflamed again with the person of Jesus Christ. That we might love him as when we first loved him. Before I read those words, let me take a minute to, and I don't know what's been said to you about Colossians and Paul and all of that sort of stuff before, but I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of Colossians because it's really important. If we are to engage with, if we are to be excited about and have our imaginations inflamed by Jesus Christ, we need to know a little bit of the backstory. I don't know when you read Colossians last. (laughs) Maybe you've never read Colossians. You should do. But as you read it, we are surprised, I think, and at times even puzzled by the language and the ideas and the breadth of the content of what Paul is saying to the Colossian church. He's responding to a number of circumstances, as you well know, for that was Paul's reason for writing. He was always responding to the question, the heart content of people, why, how, and explaining the fullness of the truth that they had in Christ. But as he speaks to them, he wants to motivate them. He wants their heart belief to be pure. He wants them to be without error. He wants them to live in the freedom 
wherewith Christ has set them free. He writes back in chapter 1 and verse 5 in the translation I'm reading. He wants them, he has a desire that they have the revelation of the true gospel that it might be real today as the day when they first heard it. He has a desire that the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ might be as real today as it was when they first heard the gospel. What an aspiration. We talk about aspirational goals. Well, there's an aspirational goal, but it was certainly fulfilled in him. You might be asking, well, I hear that and I understand that. But why again was he saying to them, I want it to be real today for you? The problem was with the Colossian church and you know that it has a close connection with the Laodicean church. And if you read Revelation, you'll soon find out. The church in this area had lost their first love. There had been a, what I call at least, a serious and disturbing disconnect between Jesus and themselves. Many false teachers had come into the church. There were cults occurring and happening within the church. There were deceiving and false teachers amongst them, and they were drawn away. Their hearts were drawn away from the person of Jesus Christ. This one who was once in their minds and their hearts sovereign Lord, ruler over everything, creator of all things, sustainer of everything, whose name is above every name, they had given way. They had been deceived. Paul as he engages with them, wants their freedom to be reinstated. Because you see, when Christ is at the center, our freedom is always being and continually reinstated to us. For the Spirit of God makes it real. Jesus needed to be central again in their lives. He needed to be real again. Like electricity running along a wire. As they engaged, it was real as getting an electric shock almost. I don't know if you've had electric shock, but I tell you what, when you have one, you know you've got one. And when Jesus is center, central, in our lives. We know it to be so. You see, he didn't want them to fall away. He didn't want them to become victims again. He didn't want them to be captivated again by the flesh, the world, or the devil. He didn't want their minds to be darkened. He wanted them to experience the truth and the practical, the outpoured reality of Jesus Christ. Again, as suggested, he wanted this in the midst of a situation 
wherewith they were terribly distracted. And at the time of life we're in, through this COVID period, and uh, what we hear from pulpits at times, we find that we are so easily distracted, momentarily distracted, continually distracted by something other than Jesus Christ. Well, what was happening with this distraction? What was it causing in their lives? What were the outcomes? Well, I can't talk about it all because we'd be here all day. But there were some salient features and which were not unlike what was going on in Judaism, in those who did not know Christ or the living God, and in Christians. These false teachers were saying, in a sense, you need more than Jesus. If you don't keep the feast days and if you don't have these rituals that you go through, um, perhaps if you don't have an amulet on your wrist or around your neck or some note uh, in, a, um, you know, you carry on your body in your, you know, if you don't have these sort of things, if you don't have Jesus plus these things, well, when life troubles come on you, you you've got no hope. But you see, as I've been speaking, you'll realize the falsity of those things whenever people who know Jesus have a mentality of Jesus plus or I need something else. It's like having a bet both ways. Oh, sorry, we're in church, aren't we? Shouldn't back <laughs> It's like having a bet both ways. Jesus plus. And this is what was happening to these dear people. There was a diversity of belief. And they started to believe in intermediaries. They started to believe and worship angels. They said they had the abuse of the body and they had these queer feast days and they laid burdens on new Christians. It's as I've got written here, it's as if by engaging in practices like these sorts of things, they had a double insurance against the liabilities of some cosmic tyrant or fate touching their lives. You can understand why Paul says, I want Jesus to be as real as he was when you first knew him because they knew then that they were victors, they were victorious, they were overcomers in Christ Jesus. But they'd become distracted. And as we read Colossians, we see that Paul doesn't excuse them, never excuses them, but in compassionate love and mercy, he corrects them, he corrects them. And he says, hey, Christians, remember again that because of the cross, you are worthy. You've been adopted. You've been rescued. You've been released. And you are reconnected with the living God. 
No wonder he spoke the way he did. No wonder he spoke the way he did. Let me read some verses, as we call them, that he spoke to this worthy, this rescued, this released, this reconnected people. He, Jesus, is a divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. For through the Son, everything was created, both in heaven and on earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality, authority, it was all created through him, Jesus, and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, so now everything, everything finds completion in him. Hear his words of endment. They were being led astray. They were listening to false teachers. They were overcome with doubts and fears and apprehensions. And Paul says here, this one Jesus Christ in whom you first believed is the one who brings everything, everything to completion. He's saying, turn your eyes on Jesus like the old hymn. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will become strangely dim. Hallelujah. This Jesus, God who became man, God man amongst us, Emmanuel, the Saviour, the Lord. And as you read through Colossians, if you haven't read it for a while, you should do. He is the one who overcome every principality and power and dominion. He is the one who made an open spectacle of Satan fulfilling scripture, even from Genesis. He, Jesus Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He goes on to say this to these people. Hey, he is the head of his body, which is the church. He, he's saying to them, you belong to him. I was reading an old-time author, and I, I won't quote him because the English is old and it was around the 1600s when this guy wrote. And he is talking about this one Jesus Christ as the head of the body is the church. And he says that Jesus was never alone by himself. He was either doing the work of the Father or relating to fallen, needy humanity. He didn't die on the cross alone. He died on the cross, as it were, in the presence of those he came to save. Jesus did nothing by himself, nothing for himself in obedience to the Father. He did it for us. He did it for the Colossian church. So he rightfully is then the head of the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir of creation. He must always be embraced as the most exalted one because of who he is and what he's done, what he is doing, he says, 
He must always be embraced as the most exalted one. Glory, glory to God, he said. You know, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth restored, is restored and brought back to himself. Oh, listen to this. Because of Christ, because of this exalted one, because of this God-man, God in him brought everything back to God's original intent, restored to innocence again. So Paul, as he writes to these Colossians, he says, think about it, think about it. This one whom you are letting yourself drift away from is, has, and will continue to restore your innocence to you. Oh, isn't that a great thing? <laughs> Not only are we redeemed, made clean, renewed in the blood of Christ, but we're innocent. Not only before God, but in ourselves. And witnessed to by the Holy Spirit, we are innocent. Ah, another sermon. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, the grace of God. The grace of God. So in these verses, we see the ever-present newness of God's grace being spoken about. The effectiveness of God, the cross to save. The effectiveness of the cross in Christ to restore. We see the power and the authority of Christ as he is seated in heavenly places ruling and reigning for us. And indeed, he says, we are reigning with him because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Dear people, as Paul speaks to this Colossian group of people, as he portrays Christ before them, there is nothing stronger. He's saying to them, there is nothing stronger that could encourage us. There is nothing more powerful that can cleanse us and inspire our faith than the risen Christ in whom you once believed, the risen Christ in which I want you to love like you first love. Uh, he was saying this to them, no doubt, as we read it in other terms. He is saying to them, I make a claim on your lives that you are obliged to love and to serve the risen Christ. Well, why wouldn't we love and serve the risen Christ? Well, I suppose I best pull it together if I haven't already, in a sense. So here, in Paul's words, we see them, as I said before, surely they are thought-provoking. Surely they are encouraging. Surely they are freeing. And they are life-transforming if we allow them to be that. 
And it was the same with the Colossians. They had to, by faith, take hold of Christ. They had to will, they had to have the intention to revere Him as they once did. They had to, wanted to desire to walk back into freedom wherewith Christ made them free. They may have found it difficult to shed the parts of their lifestyle. For sure, sin has its hold on our life. Satan tries to get his, his claws into us, so to speak. Um, but it is in the midst of having such behaviours as they did, such doubts and apprehensions, such this deception working in their life, he says to them, you may have found it hard to stand, but you have the grace and the power of the Spirit of God living in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory that will allow you to overcome. And that's true of us today. So I say to you, as I say to myself, as the Spirit speaks to my own heart, we must not resort to the temptation in this hour, in this time, when Christ is devalued, when Christ is underemphasized, we have to say in our own hearts and lives and minds, I am not going to be distracted. I've decided, as one song says, to, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's funny how these old songs... We rarely sing them, but anyway, no turning back. So we today face, dare I say it, a similar temptation in our time, in our lives, in our situations to underemphasize and undervalue Jesus Christ as the risen, glorious, reigning Lord, the soon coming King, the one who sits in the heavenly places, the one who alone was worthy to break the seals and open the purpose of God over creation and into our time. He alone. And the response of the angelic beings there were to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And the angels cried out, he alone was worthy to open the book and break the seals. For his blood was shed for us. It's easy for any of us, myself included, to be distracted and lose our first love. We can so quickly become clueless a word which is in some translations of Revelation 3.17, we can become clueless about Jesus Christ, about his kingdom reign and his purpose in this world. I mean to say it's been 2,000 years, hasn't it? What are you doing, Jesus? But that is cluelessness because he is ruling and reigning in heavenly places now for us. We can so quickly not only become clueless, that we become self-centered and humanistic instead of believing in the Christ as these Colossians did, they became humanistic. They trusted in themselves. They trusted in what was going on around them and worse than that, they bought into garbage which took them back 
into captivity. Now, we as Christians do not want that. We don't want that. We don't want to go anywhere near that. We need to question our hearts and our minds and our motives. Oh, we can so quickly detach ourselves from him and fill our minds, as Paul says, with empty deceptions rather than revelation of the Spirit. I said before, when Jesus and his cross are centre in our life, <laughs> we as love-struck people, we as love-struck people, experience, here it is, when Christ and his cross are centre in our lives, we experience a greater reality of the kingdom of God, not out there, but in here. Worship becomes vibrant, and how could it not be when you're love-struck with somebody? I'm a lousy singer, but, and I don't think I ever sang a love song to my wife, but I tell you what, when you engage in the Spirit of God, engage with your heart, and you're falling in love with Jesus, you become the best soprano around. Hey. Worship becomes vibrant. We ask ourselves, why isn't, oh, well, I ask myself, why isn't my worship as vibrant as it could or should be? It is because and only because Jesus and his cross are not centre. When enthralled and impassioned by Jesus, we experience victory as a reality. See, this is what he's saying to the people. When you take your eyes off Jesus, victory is not a reality. The things that you have been promised, the things that you once claimed in Christ are no longer yours. You are not living in victory. When Jesus says for victory, for victory, Paul says, rather to the Galatians, Christ has set us free. I better pull this together. <laughs> Getting too preachy. <laughs> Like the Colossians, we need to desperately, desperately keep off the dreadfully dangerous paths that cause us to live as traumatized victims. Keep us off paths which demean the person and kingship of Jesus Christ. You know, as I look at this COVID stuff and I read materials, as I listen to reports, as I, I, I hear the dreadful rate of suicide. And I know that it is only Jesus, Jesus only, who can deliver, who can comfort, who can give new life and hope and a future. And our country needs that. Our friends need it. This city needs it here. And if we are not living in victory, if we do not have this passion and affection for Jesus Christ, we are less likely to speak about him and the victory and the overcoming power of the gospel. Let me say it as I do pull it together at the end. This Jesus Christ, he reigns supreme in our daily lives. He reigns supreme for our future destiny. 
He is completely, completely dependable. He sets the prisoner free. He liberates the victim. And that's what our country needs. They don't just need it because they need those things, sure. They need to know the gospel of God's grace. They need to be set free from the enthrallment of sin, of Satan and death. They need to know new life in Jesus Christ. So today, let us be open. Let us be open, dear people, to be ravaged, infatuated, enthralled and impassioned again with Jesus Christ that we may not be faint-hearted, not faint-hearted, or shrinking back from our allegiance to him, for all things are ours in Christ Jesus. If you think that's radical, if you think this old preacher is a bit uh, off track or is a bit wacky, I tell you what, if you want to test it, if you want to try it, if you want to taste it, Ask the question, is what he says true? Is the word of God true and powerful and life-changing and freeing? Does it free the victim? And if you are a victim, if you feel like a victim today and you don't know Jesus Christ, if your, your life seems to be uh, filling in around you, hemming you in, I say to you, look to Jesus Christ who is Lord, who is able to set you free. Let you free. Determined to know nothing, I say to you, Christian. Determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Father, thank you. Thank you for Paul's ardency. Thank you for his willingness to confront the issues. Thank you for his willingness to encourage. Come, Holy Spirit. Do a work in us today as we sit here, as we stand here, as we watch it at home. May the power of your grace and of your spirit touch us and may we become infatuated again. Amen.